1: A Gospel reading from the 16th chapter of Matthew. From From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Well, grace and peace to you, dear siblings in Christ. If you've ever been in my office, you may have seen my wall of crosses. It's this eclectic collage of gifts and souvenirs from places that I have visited. Each and every one of these crosses has some sort of story or a relationship or connection to something. We see crosses all over. They're a common decoration. We wear them around our necks. We hang them from our rearview mirrors. We needlepoint them on throw pillows or carve them into wall hangings. If you've been around for a while, you've seen Pastor John's uh, Crosses in the Wild Children's Message series, where we're on the hunt for them out in the world. Crosses are everywhere which I think is really cool, and and a little bit strange. Now, don't don't panic. Just hear me out. When I got this cross necklace, I was at one of these at-home jewelry parties hosted by a former congregation member. I'm guessing some of you have never been to an at-home jewelry party, so let me explain. Usually a salesperson uh, sets up kind of a display of their collection to a private party of guests who've been invited for the occasion. So as a guest, you're able to try things on, maybe get advice or get feedback from another guest about a piece, uh, and then order items from the company's catalog. So while I was there, I tried on this cross necklace. And the saleswoman told me, And I quote, crosses are very in this season. (laughs) I remember being dumbfounded. Crosses were in? Really? I felt like asking her if she knew this was actually an instrument of torture a weapon of feel yielded by an authoritarian and oppressive government. Is it trendy or seasonal to celebrate an instrument of murder? Now, we didn't ask her any of those questions, but I did buy the cross so that I could tell you this story years later. In our Bible story to date, Jesus keeps showing his disciples about the suffering he will endure. He foretells the violence and the agony of the cross, the way the powerful chief priests and the scribes will come after him, and of his being raised from the dead. These days, it's challenging for us to imagine these, the effect these words must have had on Jesus' disciples. But what would happen, I wonder, if we shook ourselves out of our familiarity for a few moments and heard Jesus' words as his first listeners heard it 2,000 years ago? We would know nothing of crosses as on-trend, as decorations or declarations of faith. And instead... We would hear Jesus' words as gruesome predictions of impending torture, as his first hearers might have. Now, for those of us who've grown up in the church or even been aware of Christianity and crosses in our society, the actual strangeness and scandal of Jesus' death has perhaps long faded. But here's the bottom line. God died. And not only that, God died the humiliating death of the unjustly accused. The death of lethal injection. The death of the electric chair. The death of the lynching tree. It's easy for us to be judgmental of Peter and say, come on, man, you just proclaimed Jesus the Messiah, and now you're telling him he's doing it wrong? And instead, see that that Peter is not stupid. He just understands the context of what Jesus is actually saying in a very practical way. He doesn't like it. Peter is trying to make sense of it all. That instead of overthrowing the Roman oppressors with a military revolution, Jesus will be handed over to these political enemies and suffer. Peter is learning that the movement they've been part of that has drawn crowds and produced miracles and healings and proclaimed a new kind of kingdom will not produce their longed-for future, their cherished dream, their chance at liberation. Instead, it will end with the first-century Palestine version of a state-sponsored execution. So what could be more disorienting, more ludicrous, then the news that their would-be champion was determined to walk straight into a death trap, to give himself over not only to severe physical pain, but to humiliation and disgrace, to surrender without a fight to a common criminal's death. If we allow ourselves a bit of space and time to reflect. I think we will all feel a lot more empathy for Peter. This cross business does not line up with the disciples' hopes and dreams. Or what they thought they signed up for. Especially when Jesus goes on to say these words. If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Peter and the disciples are coming to terms with the real implications of taking up their cross and following Jesus. Being aligned with the losing side, not with the winners. Facing public humiliation and disgrace. Losing life itself, perhaps violently, for the sake of God's kingdom. This kingdom they have heard so much about. It's a lot to make sense of. And it's a real risk. And so in our story today, Peter says no to Jesus. No, Lord, this must never happen to you. But the way of God, the way of this new, earth shaking, love overpowering, grace filled kingdom, is not the way of the world. By all of our human measures and analytics and feedback, It is flat-out failure. It looks like losing. And losing pretty badly. And it tastes like death. And this, dear friends, is what we are invited into. What we are baptized into is Christ's death. The losing way of death on a cross. We no longer need to try to impress or conquer the world according to its rules. And so I find the losing way of the cross is actually lovely and liberating and groundbreaking because the love of Jesus is so much bigger than human expectations or even our greatest aspirations, or broken political systems, or death itself. God's love sees beyond our failures or humiliations or the moments when we fall on our faces or do exactly the wrong thing, or like Peter, say exactly the wrong thing. In Christ's death and resurrection, he took on this Powerful symbol of domination and cruelty. And God transformed it into a symbol of life greater than death. Of promises bigger than any of your failures. Of a God who releases us from the control and the fear and the anxieties our world tries to wrap around us. And instead speaks hope and peace and healing into our brokenness. The cross, whether rough-hewn wood or bedazzled jewelry, is a complex reminder of how God defeats all earthly expectations by taking the side of the loser's. So the next time you notice a cross, whether alongside a highway or tattooed on your own skin, may it be a reminder that you are part of Jesus' clan, a beautiful and blessed group of those who have been claimed by Christ, called to live in God's love by setting our minds on divine things and following Jesus and his ways of mercy instead of the ways of the world. May the cross remind you, dear friends, of the immense love that God has for this world. A reminder that you are loved and that God makes a way when our human minds cannot fathom how. May the cross remind you that you are loved by a God of transformation, a God who chooses the losing way and who defeats death itself on the other side. You, dear friends, are God's beloved in the power of the cross of Jesus. May you have the courage to take up your cross and follow. Amen.